Once a man tumbled through space-time, his memories were clouds of forgetfulness, and stories vaguely remembered, faces vaguely known, but they would form over and over in his vision, in his mind's eye, or was it reality played out? Again and again, ceaselessly, like a recorder being reset, the needle returned to the beginning forever. But each time the record played, was it the same? Once there were heroes, hapless pawns of evil men, branded by holding companies and selling soap to a bewildered and confused group of conscientious citizens, hiking for likes and comparing the sizes of their cocks and balls, clits, breasts, bankrolls, square footage, and willingness to put it all on plastic for that group photo in front of the Louvre. Once homeschooled, drooling troll popped pimples and stared at the device in his hands, the other hand, somewhere damp and warm, the only skin he sees not on a screen is mother's, and it makes his skin prick and his prick tingle. And he takes a bite of a bologna sandwich, remembering once when he vomited the pimentos amidst Pepto in a childhood of blurry fever. Once the old man had imagined flying across the ocean of vastness, once he thought of hallowed halls with lofty thoughts and scrolls of ancient wisdoms that knew reason and sound advice, temperament and great human thinking, oh, marble and sandstone and wide-sweeping galleries of big ten-cent, twenty-cent, forty-cent words, oil paintings that spidered and cracked, showing tits and ass and the ideas of democracy and revolution, and a girl on a swing kicking so that her dress opens up and shows her would-be lover, the lovely pussy. Once he dreamed, now the old man sits in his own filth on a Tuesday afternoon listening to old women who are out of their minds cackle like witches and whimper like children. Once, once he thought that there was a wide sweeping world. Now he thinks it ends in adult diapers. Once pioneer soldiers lusted for ideas, now rust away and sit in bread lines at the local food pantry, where the quiet preacher hopes that no riots will break out, and that he can make it just past one more Sunday before cashing in his chips and getting out of Dodge forever. Once statue of great mayor, statue of soldier, honored and braved, reveled by the cultists, great erect statue of American empire now flaking, the reins have chipped away the old lead, and underneath is Big John, the friendly grocers, brown sacks of groceries replaced by stone tablets that would washed away, read, buy one, get one, instead of, and justice for all, and malice to none. Once a woman confused, he sees her through the window of the house he vaguely remembers at the end of his block. There she is, biting through copper lines. The old woman doesn't understand how she's come to have a taste for metal, but she can't get enough, and she has replaced her beloved cucumber sandwiches for copper and lead and galvanized steel. Once her mother had an old copper tea kettle, and she gave her tea to her dolls in the afternoon. The afternoon they put mother in the cold, wormy ground. The last thing she would remember as her teeth punctured the candy-coated plastic shells that tastes something like the old tea kettle she licked as a child. But the tea kettle never sent 80,000-some-odd volts coursing through her frail, old body. 
once a shining moment lost. Never did he see the thing on the other side of the hill that waited for him. He never noticed the embers that burned there and then snuffed out. He didn't see the soggy books becoming moldy blocks and bricks for the tenements on Main Street in the cinder block. He didn't see the toothless hag wrestle with her uncle, wrestle his body into the basement and cover up the smell with, with cinnamon and cover up his death cries with the wooden needle on the record that crackled out, battle hymn of the Republic. It skipped and skipped and skipped in places, hopscotched, made, scraped knees on hot sidewalks outside the closed-down Church of Christ. Over there once stood a building used for hiding tuberculosis. They painted it white, but the red brick still comes through, especially on a cold winter day or even hot summer. He watches for the cat that creeps in the hidden graveyard there. They bury the lungers, and the cat smiles knowingly at his ignorance. Once a pearlescent moment caught like a picture in a vacuum. No dust or debris, no yellowing with age just stuck there forever, wondering how this moment came to pass and how long he would stay there. And is there a release? Does he need to ask? Does he wait it out? Or take some old ball-peen hammer and crack the leaden glass and step carefully? Carefully, not to be cut to ribbons by the jagged edges of a stained glass picture of Jesus and the devil and forty long, long days and nights. Once a woman woke to the crack of a gun in the early morning light. Her husband stared at her wide-eyed, and she thought he was shocked for the sound, too. But then she felt the warm blood and saw that his suicide was streaking down the walls. They had painted beige hoping that a neutral color would help them sell their home on Jugtown Road so they could leave the Midwest forever. He had decided to go. She had not anticipated him leaving without her. Once a man stood on a corner begging for food at the giant box store that had ruined so many ma's and led so many pa's to drink. He wore a hat that said veteran, but he kept a secret in his pocket, some local do-gooder exposed. And the men beat him in the alley, as much life out of him that they could, trying to get back the life that he had taken from that boy, that little boy, some twenty-odd years ago in Waco. Once he came, the traveler, not from across oceans or stars, but from time forward or back, he didn't know he was lost. And the only thing he remembered was this place, a small town buried in the gut of the Midwest, with some name vaguely Native American. Was it Shawnee or Sauk? He didn't know. No one knew, nor did they know what the name meant, though it probably meant shitty white man's folly. And so here he was standing in the town square of shitty white man's folly, and he was laughing as he saw the marquee of the old theater that had become a church, the old bank that had become a coin shop, the old barber tender that now sold candles. Oh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. He floated down the streets a ghost and wondered if they saw him, would the town folks remember him, or was he from a distant future, a distant past? It all looked the same, but different, and he was different, and the same he could remember. He could remember, but he had also forgotten everything. 
He remembered where he had hidden a key. It had been there each and every time he returned, each time. The time-traveling Sisyphus, he finds the key to unlock the vault that has the clue to his damnable circular travels through time, only to lose it again, time and again, to repeat it, time and again, always the key, always the vault. And down the hill the rock rolls again, only to push it up, only to push it back up again but not this time no he would simply break the cycle not seek the key but haunt the town liberty street he walked its pavements cracking and saying how do you do to the passers-by leopold oh leopold the street named by whom there was a joke there once not very good that he'd made to a girl he loved when she came to visit in the coldest the warmest winter the last time he would ever see her though at the time he thought at the time he thought that they were made for forever oh leopold oh leopold when did you become a street when did you cease to be a man when did they make you gravel and asphalts once hot and steamy making the air oily as the boy rode his green mountain bike with the dinosaur logo on its neon green frame across your black spine a dime candy and comics at the old man's pharmacy dime candy and comics laughs and delights neon green bike to rusty blue sedan comics to condoms laughs to moans and delight to heartache such as growing up and having your heart broken leopold oh leopold there you lay there you lay a street cracking your tarmac unkempt but still driven upon to the pharmacy that is no longer there leopold some leopold was it balthazar or brian was that last name or first leopold the street lay on the surface of the earth your name forever known but the man you were forgotten who lays underground long eaten by the worms once the traveler saw a light over the hill and fire in the night a man in a car leaving a party where he had hoped to have success with a woman but he left the party alone heading home alone insulted again and loathsome and horny the man and his tight little mustache swerved as the fire and the light lit the oily night sky ablaze and the strange glowing disc nearly cut the little man's sedan in two, though it missed and he ended up in the ditch with a bloody nose from a collision with the steering wheel and a small cut on his forehead, a small bruise that unbeknownst to him, Harold Lawton would become a large brew to his ego. Harold Lawton, about to become a household name. As he stumbled over the hill and he rescued the strange being that squirmed from the spacecraft's wreckage, the being from Centaur 8, the god from Centaur 8, that would make Harold Lawton a national hero and in the end, a hated villain who would take the life of the only intelligent species an extraterrestrial humankind would ever know. And only Harold would know, only Harold would know that the god of Centaur 8 was nothing but an abusive little prick that had been the worst roommate Harold would ever have, and that was saying something, because Harold spent the rest of his life being raped by roomies in federal prison. 
Once the quiet preacher got drunk in the middle of winter and stumbled out of his car that had broken down in the middle of nowhere near Jugtown Road and wandered across the empty ice-covered cornfields with the fields of stars crisp above his head and the rye deceivingly warming his already freezing body as he thought about God and the universe. And if God made man in his own image, then why on earth did he have to make us shit? And he laughed, the quiet preacher laughed, because he thought that was the deepest thought he had ever had about the God he sold like soap to a hundred or so patrons of the religious arts. Every Sunday he sold God like soap. Though he didn't believe in the three-in-one, or the sun, or the sacrifice, or Mary, Virgin Mary, or the angel, or any of it for that matter. But he was good at speaking and soft-hearted, and came across as honest and wise, and people listened, and they wanted to listen, and it didn't matter how hard he tried, it didn't matter how hard he tried, they'd always use him, they'd use him to force their own salvation, and it emptied him out so much that finally he bought bottles of rye and rum and scotch and cigars, drank to his head, swam, and rubbed one out to the dirty magazine he found in the back alley, dumped by that strange Davy who feared the cat, that mangy cat that no one claimed as their own and now the quiet preacher was freezing to death and he didn't know it and within minutes he fell to the frozen earth and his heart slowed until it beat no more and he met the god he never believed in once the traveler saw the chaos in the town as a picture incomplete, but telling a tale that he could do nothing about, nothing to stop. He couldn't change it, he couldn't interfere. The one and only rule of traveling through time was that you could touch nothing. The traveler had all the power in the world. He possessed gross amounts of the greatest wealth, time, but it was worthless as he watched misery and murder, mistresses, thefts of property and the heart, thefts of morality, thefts of trust, innocence lost to the corruptions of grown-up flesh and lust, innocence neglected by drunkards and junkies, poverty of soul, he watched the town wither, only to know that he would close his eyes and the pulling feeling would tug at him again, the pulling feeling and the clock, the clock would turn and the sun would snuff itself out and be nothing but a black lava rock, deep, dead, that would turn backward and like a phoenix relight its pilot light again, the kitchen would reek of gas and the town would be born again from prairie ash and the traveler would open his eyes and watch it all again unfold and he like a ghost he like a ghost would drift through the streets leopold to liberty and all the decay of jugtown road and the church brothels and the hall of the masons and the library of the decrepit and the town hall crypt once he saw Pete, the oil man who oiled the rock road south of town once, but how many times had he seen old Pete, how many times throughout the annals of time had he watched and knew what would happen when Pete drove to the end of old road where the abandoned brewery was the building that watched the town, always hungry. 
Pete was being charitable. He thought he saw Dale Newman's mangy butt that had gone missing. Pete thought he saw him sniffing around the brewery. But if he had thought for half a second, he would have remembered. Not even the dogs go to that place. Pete parked his truck, took out a flashlight. His footsteps ground the gravel road, ground the gravel road as he circled the building, unaware of the shadow that fell over him, unaware that the building was awake and ravenous. All that was ever heard of Pete was his screams that night, though most say Pete skipped town and left Mildred and the kids behind for some whore in Ohio. Old Lady Pilcher knew for certain, though she'd never be believed, because she had always claimed to have flown side saddle on the Kitty Hawk. Nutty, nutty old Lady Pilcher who told stories, told stories no one would believe. Widowed now ten years, and her mind lost. But she and the traveler both knew that the old building ate Pete alive, and in one felt gulp. Once the traveler sat up all night with the drunken writer, he wrote poems and stories everyone hated in the passions of drunken fugues. By day, broken dreams forced him to be a fry cook in a makeshift restaurant in a rusted Airstream camper. He made the best brats in town, though he preferred fancy culinary wonders that a small Midwest town's palate simply couldn't understand. But at night, he wrote prose told to him by the demon shadows on the walls that appeared in his drunken stupor, and he plucked away at his Underwood typewriter that he had found at Carl's antique store a few years ago that he called the Demon Keys. And he and the Traveler and the demons cut it up all night, and he was the only one the Traveler could ever talk to and confide in, though he never remembered each visit through the veil, and every night ended in the drunken rider walking across the river bridge and hurling the demon keys into the river, only to return to his shitty apartment to find it there waiting for him. Once there was Jack who came back to town. Jack, who was as haunted by his past as the traveler, was haunted by his own. Jack, who was looking for truth to visions he had of drowning his younger brother in the same river that the drunken rider tried to drown the demon keys. Once the traveler watched as Jack walked into a maze of cornfields with hollow, cracking voices speaking to him, Jack whose answer lay deep in the cornfield where the souls of the town had long turned to the dried-out stalks that grow there. And Jack found them, men of stalks like the hollow men of T.S. Eliot. Jack confronted them, and with the same fate as Pete the oil man, who would never be seen in the small Midwestern town again. Once, the traveler watched himself watching Lee as he sat on the green mountain bike with the dinosaur logo on its neon green frame, and Lee surrounded by six-inch American flags and pink flamingos, and reeking of the gasoline that the traveler's younger self had seen him pour all over himself, flicked a shiny silver lighter one time with a beautiful, satisfying click, and he set himself on fire for the second and last time, and the traveler and the traveler's younger self 
watched helplessly like they had through eternity, unable to stop the haunted man from ending himself in flames. Once he saw his own younger self age and bend to become broken. He watched himself take the thing from the safety deposit box. He saw himself wind the brass dials and heard the mechanism whinny and spin and heard the click clacking and he saw himself as he could feel the tugging, the pulling, the dragging, the begging, the pleading, the aching, the merciless urging of time. He watched himself put the thing back into the safety deposit box. He watched himself lock it with the key. And he watched himself disappear into the ether and the mystery and the unwholesomeness of forever time. Once, the traveler stepped through the veil and nothing Nothing would ever be just once.